Hello and welcome back to another edition of Blitz Scalable Venture Deals. I am, of course, Chris Yeh, joined by my partner, Scott Johnson of Blitz Scaling Ventures. Scott, say hello. Hello, Chris. All right, Scott. Well, I can see we also have been joined by your canine companion. So we'll see if anything gets him excited enough to bark during the time that we're recording. Yeah, she generally does not respond to these deals that I'm working on. But uh, unless there's a dog food deal, uh, I think we can rely on her being nice and quiet. Fair enough. All right. So first off, we're looking at deals for May of 2022. How many deals were announced this month? You know, it was 133. And that's a good, healthy number. It's not as high as where we were six months ago, but it's as high or higher than we were a year and a half ago. So I think there's a healthy venture market out there. People are wringing their hands saying all the venture capitalists have gone on vacation and they're not doing anything and, and I can't get my company funded. But, you know, we still see these deals clicking across the screen. Now, these are announced deals, not deals getting done this minute necessarily. So some of these might've happened a little while ago, but I, I do get the sense that you can still raise capital, that people are leaning into great opportunities. The challenge will be for, you know, if your company's growing, but not growing that fast, or if you're, you're sort of on the edge of exciting, you really need to be exciting to get money in the current environment, but there are enough exciting companies that there are a lot of deals getting done. Yeah, as it turns out, there were five deals that met our blitzscaling criteria this month. And for a quick refresher for any new listeners, our blitzscaling criteria are based on the factors of blitzscaling. So we look at things like the winner take most market dynamic. We look at the distribution. Those are the two most important ones. But then we also look at things like product market fit, market size, gross margin, organizational and operational scalability. Together, we score these on a scale of 1 to 10. We apply our algorithm to it, and we come up with a score from 1 to 100. And the companies that score 80 or above are the ones that we consider blitz scalable. And this month, there were five of those companies. Yeah, and four of them were seed rounds. And if everyone recalls, we are a growth stage investor. We like to get involved at B round, C round. So these are companies that we're going to pay attention to as they try to emerge as the leader in their market and should they be so lucky as to do that or be so skillful i should say as to do that then you know that's a potential investment for us and so this is really a, just a window into our normal process of finding the next great blitz scaler well let's start with the first two companies on the list because a they earn the same exact score because they are very similar but at the same time they're very different so the two companies I'm talking about are Bubbles and Switchboard. In the case of each of them, we really scored them exactly the same, but we got to those in very different ways. So Bubbles is all about asynchronous screen-based collaboration. The idea is it makes it super easy and low friction to basically record video and screen captures and then share those with other members of your team. So a very common use case that I saw on their website is if somebody is working on a website or an application or something, if they want to deliver their feedback, it's a lot easier to do so 
by having a screen capture, by being able to point to the things they're talking about, rather than actually composing a super long email with a bunch of call outs and still images and, and so on and so forth. So people talk about this tool bubbles as a very easy way to do that. And I think one person said it's one of these things that once you start using it, you just keep using it kind of like Figma. So that's what Bubbles is. It's really about screen-based collaboration, really helps people in that remote environment so that you, if you can't call someone over to look at your screen, you can actually record it and send it to them and have them react back to it. And with Bubbles, you can also have people respond with video to a specific section of your commentary and go back and forth. Now, that's and something remember, where- remember asynchronous, right? So asynchronous is the key word here with Bubbles. Yes. And asynchronous in general is better because it is easier to reach critical mass with asynchronous. It also allows people to time shift and do things at their own convenience. Asynchronous is almost always, quote unquote, cheaper from an attention standpoint in real time because you can choose when to pay attention to things. Now, in terms of some of the potential issues I see, uh, I am not a big fan of video collaboration. I think that video tends to be wasteful. It is not as easy to process and deal with as the written text. In fact, I think that the main reason people like video collaboration is it's much easier to create video collaboration, but it's much more difficult on the receiving end. So of course managers love it. They can be like seagulls flying overhead, dropping off crap, and then flying on. <laughs> the other thing is like the receiver has to be sound on. So you can't surreptitiously in a meeting get through all of your little bubbles because you have to have sound on and I don't know how you do that without having things in your ears, which you're not supposed to do in a meeting. So it's just harder, uh, but it's asynchronous. So, you know, that's helpful. Yeah. In contrast, Switchboard is very different. Switchboard is tapping into the concept of synchronous collaboration. It's synchronous screen-based collaboration where you can have your team working together on stuff and basically you have almost a continuous meeting, if you will, where people can just put different screens on. So instead of having to shift from tab to tab, instead of having to project on Zoom, you can actually all be looking at the same thing and work on it together and then say, well, we're going to switch from Google Docs to Salesforce. Or we're going to switch from Salesforce over into HubSpot and so on and so forth. So this also makes a lot of sense. It is synchronous, which means it's more difficult to coordinate people. But on the other hand, the kind of collaboration that this facilitates is happening synchronously anyways. So well, I it's, think it's, it's really everybody's dream to have what you termed a continuous meeting. Yes, I know that you and I would love to just meet endlessly eight to 10 <laughs> hours a day if possible. I don't think anybody really is aspiring to create the continuous meeting, but Switchboard can be a very useful tool for people who are remote, get things done. Zoom doesn't do everything for you. This is sort of figuring out some of the things that Zoom won't do and filling in the blank there. Exactly. So for each of these, they got exactly the same, same score, but in different ways. For winner take most and viral growth, both of them score a nine. They score a nine for winner take most because what you're doing is you're creating a collaboration platform that generally tends to have network effects as a result. You can see this happening in everything from Google Docs to Zoom and so on. And so it's not a perfect winner take most market in either case because, of course, people could still do it in other ways. 
but it comes close and especially because they're so frictionless. The other thing is the viral growth or distribution because it's collaboration. It's relatively easy for people to sign up. They're all freemium, which helps them spread. So both of them score well in the two key areas, not perfectly well, which gives them the ability to score well enough to make our mark. And because they are still at this pre-seed seed level, they're scoring a seven for product market fit. These are probably tools where the way we're going to watch them is to try them out. This has happened in the past. There have been a couple of collaboration platforms. We said, hey, let's try it out. And some of them we just didn't like, and therefore we didn't invest. Now, again, maybe we're wrong. We're not the target market and so on. But at the same time, I like to feel like if there is a good product and we try that, we'll at least recognize its quality, even if the fit is not good for us. Right. So that's you know the two important all important high uh, weight metrics that we evaluate. But what about the rest of the important metrics? Well, you know, because these are pure software collaboration products, they do very well on the rest. So market size, 10 out of 10, especially post pandemic, everyone needs these kinds of tools. Gross margin, 10 out of 10. It's software, my God, it costs nothing to run. Org scalability and ops scalability. Again, it's software. There's not a lot of customer service involved. These are all designed to be very simple. They score tens down the line. And that means that combined with their pretty good scores and winner take most and viral growth, even though they don't get a great product market fit score, both of them end up with an 81, which puts them just over our threshold and means that they make our watch list. And yeah, and these are enterprise software companies and enterprise software companies don't often end up on our podcast because they're not usually easy to distribute and the winner take most aspect is harder with enterprise software so in this case you know we've got two communications tools and those are the ones that actually do show up the most if slack had shown up as a new company this month we certainly would have given it a high score so it's it's these kind of things that are collaborative that can spread virally where it's not a expensive enterprise sales force that you need to hire. Those are the kind of things we look for. The, if you want to look for bubbles on the web, it's www.usebubbles.com. And they're a San Francisco company and they made our list because Bain Capital is an investor. Craft Ventures is also in there. So they have some high quality backing. And they raised eight and a half million dollar seed round. That was on May 11th that it was announced. There's 13.8 million went to Switchboard and General, let's see, Spark Capital and Sequoia are both in there, not to mention John Lilly. So they have some pretty fancy investors in that one. It's uh, switchboard.app, not switchboard.com if you want to look for them. And that was announced on May 2nd. Awesome. Now, this next company on the list is near and dear to my heart. It is called Start Playing. And what it is, is it's essentially a matching service, a marketplace for tabletop role-playing games online. This is another thing that's really been enabled by the pandemic. So prior to the pandemic, most people would play tabletop role-playing games in person. And there were some long established places where you could figure out where to play these games. The most common one is something called Warhorn. They've been around forever. It looks like it was coded in the 1990s. But thanks to network effects, that's what everyone was on. 
Well, all of a sudden, here we are in the post-pandemic era, people are playing online using virtual tabletops like Roll20, and now all of a sudden, maybe it's easier to find a game to jump in. It's almost like a pickup Dungeons & Dragons game, although while Dungeons & Dragons is the most prominent game that is played here, they actually support many different games. And of course, this is something where how would you otherwise figure out who you could play with unless they're existing friends of yours? So this is something which has great network uh, I mean, effects of it, every kind. Yeah, there are a lot of places where super geeks are thin on the ground. And this really opens up the opportunity for the, you know, the super geek without a lot of company to play these games. And it's an exciting idea. We kind of question how big it is. How many super geeks are there out there that really want to play these, these tabletop games anymore instead of heading into the metaverse or heading into a, another RPG that is more of a video game? So it's, it's a question that we have on market size. But certainly when you think about winner take most, my gosh, you know, this is if, there's, if you get established as the place to go to find your, the, your, the pickup game that you want to play, then that's going to be the winner. No one else is going to, to take them down. Yeah, the irony, of course, is that Scott and I are both old enough to remember back when Dungeons and Dragons was considered the bullet train to Satan, and now it's good, clean, wholesome family fun for everyone. And actually, people view it as a positive thing. It teaches social skills and the like. So we are going through a tabletop role-playing game renaissance. Dungeons and Dragons released Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. It became enormously popular to become part of pop culture, whether it is through the presence of Dungeons and Dragons throughout the very popular Netflix show Stranger Things, or whether it is the rise of the live play podcasts and Twitch streams, such as Critical Role, which has attracted various celebrity Dungeons and Dragons players like Joe Manganiello to participate. So if there was ever a time that something like Start Playing would work, this is precisely that time. Again, very early stage, so we'll keep an eye on it. You know, Scott, Jeff is a Dungeons and Dragons enthusiast, and I am an expert in the field as well. Perhaps we should convince you to join, and then we'll go ahead and, and join one of these pickup games and see how it goes. You know, I could be talked into it. Uh, I'm trying to learn how to surf, and that's taking up a lot of my time. But when the waves are not good enough for that, then why not give it a shot? Start Playing can be found at startplaying.games. And, oh, we didn't finish the scoring, did we, Chris? Yes, uh, no, you know, we didn't. Let's, let's do, do that, and then I'll go through all of the, the data on the ground. Yes, we will blitz through the scoring. So first of all, winner take most market, it gets a 10 out of 10 for precisely the reason Scott cited. It may be that there are places where super geeks are thin on the ground, and this is the only game in town. It's also the case that obviously a game can only work if you have your fellow players. So you absolutely want to go where there's the greatest liquidity. Viral growth or distribution, it's a nine. One element that I failed to mention is that these games are either free or paid, and therefore as a Dungeon Master, you can actually make money. This is the classic problem with Dungeons and Dragons. You always have to find someone who's willing to be the Dungeon Master. Everyone wants to be a player. Being a Dungeon Master, to some extent, people believe is a thankless task. I disagree with that assessment, but nonetheless, this is a way for people to make money Dungeon Mastering. So you can imagine somebody's running a, a campaign session, say a three-hour session. You're charging $20, and you can have eight players playing. All of a sudden, as a Dungeon Master, you know, you're taking in over 100 bucks for doing something 
something that you enjoy doing anyways. So that makes it very interesting. That creates additionally some of that virality. The dungeon masters are going to try to go ahead and promote themselves. And then meanwhile, people, you just heard it, uh, people who play the game may then get their friends, like Jeff and I getting Scott to play. So there's a lot of virality there. So well, and as not- you build your reputation as a dungeon master, you can charge more and more and more. If you're really awesome at it and the games that you oversee are so much better, then you, you could start charging more. There's going to be a supply demand curve there and, and you can price higher. Yeah, as an example, probably the most famous dungeon master in the world is Matt Mercer because he is the dungeon master for Critical Role. If he were to go on to start playing and host a campaign, he could probably charge people $1,000 a session. Uh, I don't know if he would need to, but he could. Well, they should throw him some options and get him on there. Absolutely. So continuing the scoring, product market fit, 8 out of 10. That's because this is a fairly well-known area. I know the way this works very well because I've actually used old-fashioned things like Warhorn before, and I know that the product works really well. They've done a good job of very making it very clear how many slots there are, how much things cost, when it is, and so on and so forth. I think the design is good. We give it an 8 out of 10 for now because it's still early. Market size is the big potential down, uh, downfall of this deal. I gave it an 8 out of 10. It feels like even though we have this Dungeons & Dragons renaissance and tabletop role-playing is bigger than ever, it's still not huge. You tell me, Scott. I mean, are you playing tabletop role-playing games? Well, you know, no. And I think maybe 1 in 200 people between the ages of, I don't know, 14 and, and 60 is that too many people? I don't know. It, it adds up to quite a few. If it's really one in 200, if it's one in 400, it's still adding up to quite a few. And depending on how successfully they monetize, that could be a pretty big business. So I, I think eight out of 10 is justified, but that's a place we're going to have to dig in a little more to really understand. Yeah. And then the rest of the way, we gave it 10 out of 10 because it's essentially a marketplace business. And these are very straightforward in those. Super that- scalable. Yeah wonderfully scalable that gives it an overall score of 85 so even though we have some concerns about market size and again we'll keep that in mind as we watch it and it seems like this is a blitz scaling opportunity and probably one we should personally participate in in order to evaluate it yeah and the super geeks at andrews and horowitz are the ones who funded it six million dollar seed round announced on may 13th actually six and a half so they've got enough money to get going and be dangerous. If you want to find them online, it's startplaying.games. And it's a San Francisco company. Really interesting one to watch, especially for those of you out there into tabletop games. Maybe I should uh, pitch our frequent co-investors, Andreessen Horowitz, on creating an actual play, stream, and podcast called Ventures and Dragons. You know, there's a hilarious podcast called uh, Dungeons and Daddies that my daughter found and played for me in the car when we were driving up from New York. And it, it was, it, it's absurd, but she loves it. She's pretty geeky herself, but it, it's a, uh, it's something uh, if you're into this type of game, you might want to check that out. Well, I will have to check out Dungeons and Daddies. There's also some other ones that I should mention. Great Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I mentioned Critical Role, of course. There is another one. I think it's called Dark Dungeons, where for their second season, they had Jeff Goldblum on as a celebrity player. And you can just imagine the joy of hearing the Jeff Goldblum voice as part of a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Unmistakable voice, that guy. Oh, yes. 
All right, next up we have Bravado. And what Bravado is, is fascinating. It is a niche social network and community for B2B sales and B2B, specifically the B2B sales representatives, the people who are sales professionals, which I think is pretty fascinating. These are people who are inherently very network oriented, inherently very extroverted. That's their whole line of business. So it's kind of crazy that nobody's tried this before. And everybody's done everything you could possibly think of from software point of view to help these people perform better. I, I think it's every single month, some kind of new CRM is being funded and it's a slightly different take on this particular type of thing. And, you know, it's either helping them present better or helping them prepare better for the meeting or research the company and find, you know, better leads or the, the, the amount of activity that goes into helping salespeople be more effective is enormous. And well, it, this hasn't been done. So you're right. It's, it's, it's really surprising that we haven't seen this before. Yeah. But we love the concept. Winner take most, 10 out of 10s. The social network, everyone's going to want to go where the other people are. Viral growth of distribution. Salespeople are among the most viral groups ever created because they're always talking to each other. Uh, again, we didn't see a direct virality element, so we only gave it a 9 out of 10, but that's still very good. Product market fit. This one actually is a Series B. It's fairly far along. It seems like it's got a lot of content. We gave it 8 out of 10. And then as a social network... The rest of the way, we gave it 10 out of 10. Again, we it's interesting, right? You may be saying, well, hold on for a second. You guys are saying that tabletop role-playing is a niche, but B2B sales professionals is not a niche? And the answer to that is twofold. First of all, there are a lot more B2B sales professionals out there than you think. And secondly, they control a lot more budget than the average tabletop role-playing player. So that's why we're willing to give them a full market size score. Well, and don't forget that this is a place where they will be looking for jobs. There's nothing more unhappy or easy to pick off than a good salesperson who's not selling because there's not enough marketing or the marketing's no good or the product's no good or there's, there's something product market fit that's not quite there. And you're going to lose your salespeople even faster now that this exists because they're going to say, hey, it's working over here and we're making tons of money and come join us. It's a huge party and everybody's getting rich. Salespeople are very coin operated and they're going to move. They're going to find the path of least resistance to the most money. So this is kind of a dangerous thing for enterprise software companies that are struggling to find product market fit and want to retain their sales force. Well, fortunately, we're not invested in those companies. And <laughs> in terms of investors, this has got quite a lineup as well. Yeah, well, Tiger Global led the round. There's a lot of news about Tiger pulling back in recent months. And actually, I've heard rumors they've been pulling term sheets. I don't know if they're true, but I've heard it from multiple sources. So the, the, but the, they did this round. Now, smaller than usually you see Tiger coming in with $70 million. This is a $26 million B round. Making our point that, yeah, there are a lot of rounds happening, but the size of the round is smaller than it was for sure. And so $26 million B round, not very big. The uh, other investors in here, uh, Mark Pincus is in here, uh, XYZ is in here, Freestyle Capital. They've got uh, bravado.co as their URL, and the round was announced on May 19th. 
Well, we should mention that the reason why we even found this one is because they have taken money from Redpoint, which is one of the top brand name VCs on our list. And as you mentioned, they also have some really good niche players like Freestyle Capital, Precursor, which is Charles Hudson, your favorite news letter writer, Packy McCormick, Lenny Rakitsky, one of the great Substack dominators. So this is an interesting semi-celebrity group of investors and be interesting to see how it goes from here. Yeah, that's right. And the next deal is a Redpoint deal as well. The next company, I should say, we're talking about is a, a company that was seed funded by Redpoint. It's actually labeled pre-seed. I'm not sure what pre-seed is versus seed. That seems like a distinction without a difference to me. Uh, Union Square Ventures is also in here. So pretty fancy investors in this one, Chris, and the company's called Primitives. Yeah, so this is the biggest swing and the biggest mystery because they really don't say a lot on their website and I've signed up for their wait list and they have not gotten in touch with me. I have no idea what it looks like underneath. Basically, what they said is suppose you could create your own social network and it was based around nfts where basically every instagram post was an nft right it tied people together and there was a specific set of people who were a part of it it's a fascinating thing suppose nfts were not these collectibles that were created by an artist but were things that actually connected people together so obviously from a social media network standpoint, it would be fascinating if you could get a social media network, a new version of doing it. That scores incredibly well on winner take most and viral growth, as well as the market size and gross margins and all those great things. Those are fantastic. But there is a gigantic question about product market fit. It is pre-seed. We put a six in for now, which still allows it to get up to a 91 and comfortably make the blitz scalability threshold but this is one where i gotta tell you i have the most questions about this one versus all the other ones we talked about today even if it has the highest score technically yeah i, I think they got you know they got four million dollars it's primitives.xyz if you want to go look at their website but there's not just not a lot there to to really discuss yet except the concept is interesting it's it's sort of like that that funny uh uh twitter uh post that i showed you that said uh 15 minute grocery delivery on the blockchain <laughs> sort of a, that was a joke this one's for real it's uh it's an interesting idea the thing with social networks is they come and go the ones that actually stick around long term are very few we can all name them and it's going to be a tough row to hoe for primitives but if they figure it out get the product market fit right Certainly have good advice coming from their investors, so they stand a chance. On this one, I think we should dig into the founding team and see who's behind it. Absolutely. One last vulnerability that people have just because this is part of the blitz scalability index's pros and cons, uh, the question of competition. So we've seen before that companies can actually pivot and get into these new businesses. So for example, for a number of months, we talked about some of the companies that we saw, which were in the collectibles vault business, where instead of having people physically ship these baseball cards back and forth, they would be in a vault somewhere and you could virtually transfer ownership, making it much quicker to transact and much or easier. Or a fractional ownership as well. Or fractional a fractional ownership. ownership. 
And in fact, eBay itself has gotten into the vault business, right? They already have these massive network effects. They're like, well, shoot, we can build a vault just like these guys. And so it becomes a question, you know, who will succeed ultimately? I'll be watching that with close interest. But suppose Instagram decides to get into this and decides to copy primitives. I mean, Meta slash Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg are very well known for copying whoever the hell seems to get any traction. So that is another danger to watch out for in this space. It is. And the challenge is that sometimes the bigger company will come in and, you know, they'll say, look, we want to buy you. And they do due diligence, learn everything about you. And then they say, well, actually, there's not a lot here. We're just going to build it up instead. And meanwhile, they've signed an NDA, but they've learned a lot about your business and your product. And it's kind of, I hope that's not what's what's happening with uh, with eBay. But it's it's a thing that entrepreneurs need to watch out for. Absolutely. Well, those are our companies for the month. Once again, that's Bubbles and Switchboard, Start Playing, which probably will be customers of soon, Bravado, and Primitives.xyz. Scott, any final thoughts as we head into the rest of the summer? Uh, yes, actually. I just want to encourage people to keep building that if you are faced with a down round or investors that are getting a little scared, heading for the hills, whatever, you know, it's the companies that persevere through times where it's a little harder to raise money that emerge as the leaders on the other side of a downturn. And we're definitely in a venture downturn and it is harder to raise money, but it's also the time when it's most rewarding if you make it to the other side. Wonderful. Well, that is a phenomenal sentiment. Now, again, these were the deals for May 2022. Look for the deals from June 2022 coming to your podcast feed soon. As always, this is Chris Yeh on behalf of Scott Johnson, and we thank you for listening to Blitz Scalable Venture Deals.